0: Good morning, I want to invite our Uganda team if they will make their way up to the stage. So this year for Uganda trip, this was the team from Crosspoint that went, and we had a wonderful time, and several of you have asked me how things went, and in my opinion, this was the uh, the most fruitful and the best trip um, that, that I can remember since we've been going to Uganda. And there are several reasons for that, and we'll share those few things in the short time we have this morning, uh, and so without... Uh, hesitating any further, I want to begin by asking a few questions. We'll show a few pictures to you. We'll tell you about those pictures, uh, and that'll be kind of how we give you the Uganda report. So the first question I want to ask this morning is: What was the most impact, impactful thing uh, for you? And I want us to each answer uh, about this trip this year. What was the most impactful thing for you? Um, so,
1: yeah. You're good. So the most impactful thing for me
0: was seeing how happy all the people and especially the kids were even though they don't have very much and
2: I think I this is my reason every year is that God allows me to go. I still am amazed that I get to go and teach these ladies, and um, like Nick said, this was the best um, ladies' conference that we've had. We had the most women we, we've we ever had, and they said that they thought it was the best, the one that had, had been coming numerous years, because this was the seventh time that God allowed me to go and, and lead this ladies' conference, and then the other thing is um, th- something that's impactful to me is... The way that they treat us—they—they they treat us like we are royalty, and I, I'm not—I—I I don't deserve to be able to go there, and it just makes me want to be more respectful to other people and treat the people that they show us love like you cannot imagine how you feel loved when you're there in their midst and with them, and it just—it just—I'm so thankful to God that He's allowed me to go and do this again.
1: Yeah, one of the things that was most impactful for me this year took place really in the pastor's um, conference. And it concerns uh, musical worship, and maybe that's just the season I'm in. But um, I grew up in a culture, a church culture that said you come to church service and you need a certain number of minutes, a certain number of songs, a certain kind of song in order to sort of get you in the mood to worship the Lord. And you don't realize that until you go gather with the Ugandans to worship, and I mean, it's they're given announcements, they're given uh, a prayer request, whatever, and then somebody says, "Okay, let's sing," and it's just the joy of the Lord comes out immediately. There's no psyching you up for it. There's none of that, and so it just um, it hit me, and I was like, "Man, how do they do that?" Because I don't think it's not artificial at all. They're not just like, "Oh, it's time to sing." I mean, and it's and it hit me that. When you have the joy of the Lord in you, praise comes out immediately. You don't have to be coaxed into it. And that was really challenging for me, and I think at the same time encouraging for me, um, that it's kind of like Jesse said, they have nothing. But yet the joy of the Lord is just incredible.
0: And I think the most impactful thing for me was um, seeing and experiencing their worship throughout the week at the pastor's conference, and then also uh, for Sunday morning worship service. Uh, it, it hit me that these are our brothers and sisters around the world. And so, you know, nine hours ago, uh, Uganda in Bulgaria and Busumbatia and all the churches across Uganda uh, in that time zone were worshiping the Lord. And, you know, they would sing a song that the lyrics were higher, 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 higher. Jesus lift you higher, 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 higher. That was the the lyrics. And they just, they keep singing it over and over. You know, and there would probably be a new affectionate name besides 7-Eleven given to that type of a song in our context and in our worship services. Uh, But for our brothers and sisters in Uganda, their joy in worshiping the Lord was infectious and so what was what's what really encouraged me and, and challenged me at the same time was it was incredible to think and to say, okay, so God receives the worship of his people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And God receives the worship from his people in the way that they worship him. You know, and so when we get to heaven, uh you know the language spoken won't be English, you know, like it, maybe for the people who speak English, it will be, right? Uh, but, you know, there will be an understanding as we gather around the throne of God from every nation and every tongue, and we will worship God in a way that pleases him and brings glory to his name and lifts him above everything on earth. Uh, and one last thing in this in this vein. Um, I was startled initially when at the pastor's conference during the midst of praise and worship, uh, some of the pastors, they all started grabbing their chairs and they put them above their head and they started running up and down like around the aisle in a circle around the worship center. And so I leaned over and I asked, um, asked one of the pastors, uh, what, what were they saying? What were they singing? And they were singing that they had decided to follow Jesus and they were taking everything with them. They weren't leaving anything. They were just moving forward. They weren't looking back. They were just moving forward with everything they had to go and to serve Jesus. And it was just a great picture uh, of, of just being resolved to serve Jesus faithfully. So the next question, what did God teach you through this trip, and how did you see him at work?
1: Oh, something that he taught me was really a... I guess more of a confirmation of something I thought before, but it's that when it comes to reaching Uganda or any place for Christ, it will be churches that do it. Uh, It won't just be individuals, it will be churches that impact their communities, plant new churches which impact their communities, and so on. And more specifically, it's healthy churches. And so unhealthy churches, they're no good in the Mm. kingdom because they're just divided or squabbling or theologically unhealthy. And so being at the pastor's conference, seeing these guys who are leading their churches it was just a good reminder that these are the guys on the front line reaching people for Christ, making disciples of, their, of the people that live around them. And so the importance is for them to be equipped as can be and for their churches to be as healthy as can be so that the gospel is proclaimed the way it ought to be. And I was just reminded of that, uh, seeing those pastors, hearing some of the issues that, that were going on, hearing some of the questions they were asking uh, is just reminding me that it's churches that will do it, uh, and at the same time, man, the enemy is at work to destroy the churches there. And so um, they, need, they need equipping.
2: God taught me that I don't look to him like the people of Busambathia do for their needs. Um, most of the ladies um, probably don't have a mattress. They sleep on a mat on the floor. They probably don't have a secure home. I mean, they have a home, but it's not waterproof. And they don't have a refrigerator with food in the refrigerator. They don't have a savings account. They don't have a 401K. They depend on God every single day for everything they have and need. Every day. And that's what they they look to him every day for him to give them food and water and shelter. And I don't do that. I go to work, I make money, my husband makes money, and that's how I look at it. And it just has taught me that I want to be more like them and know that everything I have and need comes from him.
0: So the thing God taught me over this trip relates to um, what I said earlier, but he just taught me to be more grateful for what I have, and it helped by me saying... Let's. Um, well, uh, one thing that I've learned uh, in the midst of this trip, it was something that was really reinforced for me. The first year I went to Uganda was 2011, and so this was actually my tenth trip to go and to be part of a pastors' conference. And there was a phrase that uh, that Eugene Peterson says when he talks about the Christian life. Eugene Peterson, recently deceased, he was a pastor. Uh, and he's written several works or books for pastors that have been really encouraging. And his phrase is that Christian life is about a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And as we were there for the conference this year, that's what kept coming to my mind. A long obedience in the same direction. That's what this has been. That's what Crosspoint's investment has been. Uh, that's what Grace, Grace's investment has been. Uh, together, it's this long obedience in the same direction, working together with Bugari Baptist Church and Busimbati ba- Faith Baptist Church in Busimbati, has been a uh, has been a roller coaster in some ways, but to but to get to a point where, uh, I mean, all of the things that are happening are glorifying God and its kingdom work from the administration that's happening on their end. To promote the conference and to print posters and I mean these are all things that have that we have seen take huge steps over over the last 10 years that we have been there 11 years that we have been there and so it's really uh, really encouraging to see and then for the pastors who come as Shane said the pastors who come they are hungry to learn and to be equipped so that you go back to their congregation and they can also equip and teach uh, their congregations about following Jesus and being disciples of Christ. Uh, and so, you know, the same things that we encourage here among our uh, our faith family uh, for discipleship in the home, for uh, standing strong on the word of God, for announcing Jesus as Lord, these are the same things that that we're saying and that that we're seeing need to happen around the world wherever the church is present. This is part of what makes... A healthy church and so that's just that's some of what uh, what I learned and what the Lord encouraged me in this year as we were uh, as we were there doing the pastor's conference and doing the mission work so let's show a couple of pictures real quick Brandon um, oh it's here that one is uh, I believe Shane's picture you want to share just oh, yeah. a brief word about it?
1: This is this is me teaching at the pastors' conference, and so I was up there teaching. It's a great time. Uh, like like Nick said, I mean the guys are hungry. I was teaching on Islam, which is a, a massive problem there for the churches and for the church. And so uh, one of the biggest issues is the pastors even don't they just don't know anything about Islam. And so oftentimes the Muslims will come to them and say, "Well, your Bible says this, or this is what's true," and they're really just sort of like deer in headlights. But spawn so they were really hungry
2: for what
0: I was teaching this is Michelle
2: okay this is the (coughs) the ladies conference on the last day and I have another picture and that we were in a classroom and there were so many women in the classroom we couldn't put any more chairs so they had to go and build a tarp the tarps outside so we we could end the conference out there and we had the most women we've ever had, and um, God just is is working in Busambathia, and he brought so many women that didn't have to come, because they, they have work, that's how they make their money, they took time from their, either digging, is what they call it when they're farming, or whatever other thing they had to do when they came to the ladies' conference.
0: Okay, so this is, uh oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, So, this is Pastor Peter and his wife, Peter and Degwa from Kenya. This picture is really uh, encouraging to me because there are um, different tribes and nations coming together to make disciples of all nations with this picture. That's what's represented. So, Peter is a Kenyan, and um, thanks to the Pauls, their connection with Peter connecting our, our congregation with Peter. We support Peter as he goes into maximum security prisons across Kenya, brings the gospel, and sees thousands, literally, thousands of people come to faith in Jesus uh, and become rehabilitated. And he, even as they get out of prison, they travel with him, they go into other prisons, they share the gospel, they disciple others and teach them. And so Peter brought a team with him, and I didn't show this picture, but he brings a team with him every year to the pastor's conference, one, so they can be equipped uh, two, so that they can partner with our brothers and sisters in Uganda. And so they look forward to this. Uh, so they bring this team, and they work alongside the Ugandan churches to help develop prison ministry in Uganda, because currently prison ministry in Uganda, uh, well, Bugeri and Busambatia don't really have strong prison ministries in Uganda. So that's what this picture represents, Peter and his wife coming and helping to... Uh, to start and to support work of going to the prisons to share the gospel in Uganda. So it's incredible. Let's show the next one, Brandon.
1: These are my African in-laws. Uh, this is Pastor <laughs> Ronald and his wife, Dina. And the reason this is, I show this picture is because it, when we go over there, I think someone mentioned it, like, these, these people aren't our project. They're not our goal, our ministry, anything. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And more than that, this is our friends. These are mm-hmm. our family that we've seen for year after year. And so um, Pastor Ronald is like my the running joke is he has a daughter named Hannah who was out one day and so Hannah, my wife, sort of stepped in as the proxy daughter. And then of course I married her and so now I'm like the, the son in law. And so every time I see him he's like, when are you bringing my daughter to, to come back? So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's
2: like seeing
0: family every time. Mm -hmm. Okay, next picture, Brandon. It's a video.
2: worship God, and it is amazing. Each different group of women and men have a different tribal dance, and they love to do their tribal dances and show us, and um, they worship God with their whole body, not just their voice, and um, I just I enjoy it so much, and I want all of you to be able to witness it, because you can't witness it until you're there in the presence of them while, mm. they're, while they're doing that.
0: Okay, so this is, uh, this is the next picture for us. This is me and Jesse at Sippy Falls. Uh, this is at the end of the conference. Uh, after the conference is finished, we take two days to go into the mountain, Mount Elgon, and we spend time there reflecting and just um, processing everything that we have seen. And so this is a necessary part of the trip to enjoy God's good creation and to see the beauty of God's creation, and it is spectacular, incredible. So we hike to that waterfall that's on the right side. You see on the very right side of the screen, we hiked over there. Uh, and we go out to this point for, uh, for the sunset in, um, in the evening when we get there. And so I just wanted to show this picture because I'm taking a picture with Isaac there and with Jesse there, and I look forward to taking a picture, Lord willing, with Aaron and with Lily there. And one of, the, uh, one of the most significant things, in my opinion, for children is that they are able to go and to experience uh, doing mission and go and experience a different culture as they're growing up because their worldview has not been shaped and formed yet completely. As adults, ours has. Uh, and so one of the ways, I will think one of the necessity, necessary things for adults is that we would get out of our cultural context in order to recognize maybe some of the things that, uh, that in our cultural context might be hindering us in our walk with Jesus. And so getting out of our culture and going to another culture will certainly help us to do that in our, in our discipleship with Christ. Uh, but for children, it's helpful because um, their worldview is still being formed and going and experiencing another culture helps them to have that worldview uh, being formed in a different way. So, okay, and then the last picture. This was, this was yours. Is that one of mine? <coughs> oh,
1: oh, yes. Okay. Sorry, I can't see. Yeah. So I don't know. Some of you may know Robbie and Nicolette, and the reason I show this picture—they celebrated their one-year anniversary while we were in, in Uganda, and so secretly Byron had a cake made and they recognized them. This is a Sunday morning service at McGeary. And so what's funny is right in the middle of the service, out comes the cake, Robbie Nicolette, and, and then we just start cutting it and passing out. I've never been in a service where we ate cake. I'm still holding out hope. Um, I mean, the most she gets the little chunk of bread. but We're gonna try
0: to do that here one day. Yeah.
1: And so the reason I show this is it goes back to what I said about Pastor Ronald. These people are our family. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, Robbie and Nicolette couldn't believe they are like, this was their first time. Like, we don't know these people, and they don't know us. But yet here they are honoring us and recognizing a year of marriage. And uh, Pastor George, who I think is sort of in the picture, he, s- he said something along the lines of, um, marriage is not a, a bed of roses. There are also some thorns in there. And so he said it's good for us to encourage one another, to celebrate uh, each year, and to come alongside one another. So that was very impactful. Certainly for me and then, of course, for Robbie and Nicolette as well.
2: Okay, this is my last picture. This is a picture of all of us on the last day, on the morning when we heading, we're heading back to Entebbe to come home. And we had an amazing time. It was truly, truly amazing. It was not easy, but it was amazing. And God gives you everything you need to be able to do what he brings you there to do. And um, I, I just, I'm so thankful. And that, that scenery right there where we were is just absolutely beautiful. And that time of reflection is just you and Jesus. And it's, it's something that I don't have here when I'm in the United States. And I'm just, I'm very thankful that I get to go and do that.
0: Okay, our last question. What do you, what would you like to say to those in our congregation who might be thinking about going on next year's trip?
2: I feel like there probably should have been more than just the four of us that went to Uganda from Cross Point. And so I feel like there's some of you that God is, is wanting to be there. And I just want you to pray. And if you want to ask me to pray or any of us to pray for God to direct you and lead you, and um, he will provide the way, he will provide what you need to get there. and. Um, uh, next year we're going to need another woman to go. We're going to break the women up and have women, and then we're going to have girls. So it will be like teenagers up to 20. So I really w- I'm really, going to pray for God to provide one of you to come and, and lead the girls because we need to divide them up, and that's something we're, we're going to do next year.
1: I say don't even pray about it. Just go. <laughs> um no, you know, this same question was posed to me a few years back when I was in Uganda. One of the, the local pastors asked me, he said, why do Americans come over here to do mission stuff? And I sort of like, well, I never thought about that way. And then it hit me, I said, because God is at work here in Uganda. And he is at work in Uganda in a way that he is not at work in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, Americans are very hard-hearted and closed off to the gospel. And in Uganda, they are soft-hearted mm-hmm. and they are receptive. And I think it was Henry Blackaby who used to say, um, find where God is at work and join him there. And so, you know, it's not that we just abandon ship here in America and go to Uganda. But it's obvious, I think, to me, having been there and and been here, of course, there's something special going on in Uganda. There's an outpouring of God's spirit. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be a part of it. Rather than sitting here with people who don't want to listen, man, go where God is at work and be a part of it. Because God's going to bring the fruit.
0: Jess, you have anything? Yeah, um, I agree with what Mr. Shane said. You should definitely go because it's a really, really good experience. Okay, thanks. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll answer as I transition into sharing a few other words. few years back, whenever we were doing door to door evangelism in Uganda, I was working with a translator. Ugandans speak English, but they also have a, a native tongue, Lugandan, and so uh, their market language is English, but then they also speak Lugandan. So I was working with a translator. We were going around sharing the gospel, kind of door to door evangelism, and we walked up to a group of ladies. There were about seven of them. They were carrying wash basins. They were heading to uh, to the pump or to the well to get water so they could wash clothes. And as we're approaching them I'm, them, I'm saying, Lord, I don't know what to say. What do I talk about? What do I say? What do I share the gospel? What do I share from the gospel with them? And the woman at the well, uh, the Lord brought that to my mind, so I began sharing with them from the woman at the well. And after I finished sharing, I then said, um, "If, if you... Uh, if you agree with what I said and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, um, I I would like to pray with you. Do any of you want to do that? And all of them said yes, we do. And I thought, okay, I asked the question wrong. They didn't understand what I said. Let me ask it in a different way. So I asked it in a different way. They all said yes. And so then I led them in prayer, and they all prayed. And when we finished praying, they all began giggling. And I thought that I had crossed some cultural line and did something that I shouldn't have done, a man speaking with women and that sort of thing. And uh, I asked the translator, after, "Say, why are they all laughing? And he said, well, they're all laughing because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're just happy. And I was amazed and blown away. Before that, I had gone door to door in the community where we were before coming here and knocked on every door in that community, trying to share the gospel with people, every door, literally every door. And um, not one person, not one person was warm toward the gospel. I mean, I had like people step out and they, they throw a chicken leg that they were eating between me and the other person that was with me. i mean, just weird stuff, right? But not one person was, was warm toward the gospel. And yet, then when I go to Uganda and share, every person wants to hear and they listen. And that's what Shane means when he talks about God is working in a way there that he's just not here. There is a hard-heartedness across our land and our nation. And I'm praying that God, by his Holy Spirit, would break through the hard-heartedness that we have when it comes to the things of God. I'm praying that God would do a work of renewal and revival among among our people in this nation and that God would begin doing that work through Crosspoint in the midst of our city. And so I I pray that next year we will have a group of pastors coming, that we'll have a group of people who are working with the Children's Conference that want to go from here um, and that we would have a a group of ladies that want to go and help to serve. Um, I want to share briefly this morning from Luke chapter 1, the story of Zachariah's song. But before I do, uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, you have been so good to us. You have faithfully brought us to Uganda, our team, and faithfully brought us back. And over the last 10 or 11 years that Crosspoint has been investing there, you have been faithful to do a great work. We thank you, God, for using us as a congregation, for using each of us as we have given toward through our ties, through our offerings. We have given uh, support physically by helping to put resources together. We have done so many things as a team, as a congregation. I pray, God, that you would use us in the midst of this city to reach out, to announce Jesus as Lord, uh, this Advent season, help us to be faithful, to declare your praise. Help us, Lord, to, to have just to have ways to share why you really are the reason that we celebrate Christmas, and that we can have meaningful ways to, to impact others by your Spirit at work in us when we share about the hope of Christ. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. There was about, um, it was the, on the entry of the fourth in our Advent devotional. If you haven't been using the Advent devotional, I, I want to highly recommend it because there are some still left in the back on the back table. Uh, you can pick one up, but it was uh, the entry of the fourth that drew my attention to Zachariah's belief and unbelief, and I found it helpful. Zachariah was a priest of the Lord. He was married to a woman named Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, scripture says. In fact, it tells us that they walked blamelessly in all the statutes of the Lord, but their story, like many couples, was one of incredible struggle. They wanted children, and they could not have children. Elizabeth remained childless, and for years, I can only imagine that both her and Zachariah prayed for the blessing of a child. In fact, if you read through the narrative the story, you realize that they they felt a certain reproach before their community, certain reproach before God And in their old age, after the physical possibility of bearing children had disappeared through years of waiting, finally, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah when he's in the temple worshiping. And and the the angel says to Elizabeth that she will, the angel says of Elizabeth that she will bear a child. And he is to name, Zechariah is to name him John. Zechariah responded, probably like most of us would have responded, how can I be sure? To which Gabriel answered, I love this how Gabriel answered, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. You will be silent because you did not believe my words. And when I read that, I thought, what power, what authority. I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Now, here's the backstory. story. 400 long years, God has remained silent, and his people, Israel, have waited to hear. There have been no prophets. God has remained silent, and then Isaiah prophetically speaks about the end of this time of darkness in Isaiah 9-2 when he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. The Old Testament closes with a promise in Malachi 4.2. You can go and you can read that later. This rising of the Son of righteousness was a long-awaited messianic prophecy. And when John the Baptist was born, God broke into this 400 years of dark silence by giving Zechariah a song to sing. It was a new prophetic word for God's people. It was the dawning of a new day. It was the progression in God's story for humanity. The Advent story is a redemption story. It's a salvation story. It's a story rooted in, the God, of the, 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 in God, the creator, and his love for his image bearers. It's a story of hope, a hope to right the wrongs of sin and the wrong, of deep, dark struggles for humanity. It's a story of remedy for the curse of sin that plagues humanity. And it's a story of promise, one declaring a coming day when God will right all the wrongs, when he will fully and completely order the chaos of his good creation and he will make all things new. That's what the Advent story is about. That's what the celebration of Advent is really, truly, all about. Zechariah's song is a prophecy that speaks directly to this hope of Christ redeeming the chaos of a broken world and the brokenness of humanity. So here's what Advent does. Advent orients our lives around the first coming, the incarnation of Christ, and the return, the second coming of Christ. Advent helps us to reorient our lives around these great truths. And so this morning, what I want to point out is God's love incites our praise and equips us to proclaim Christ's salvation to the world. God's love incites our praise and equips us to proclaim Christ's salvation to the world. I want to read from verses 67 through 80 to read our text this morning in Luke chapter 1. And his father, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, "'Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel,' in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because the tender mercy of our Lord, of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. After John the Baptist's birth, Zachariah sings a song of prophetic praise to God. And the first thing he does is he offers praise to God for his faithfulness. In verses 67 all the way through 75, praising God for his faithfulness. Zechariah's prophecy reflects praise to God because he's faithful. And so he praises God for both the Davidic and the Abrahamic covenant. He goes all the way back into the Old Testament. And so the Davidic covenant promised there would be a king who would come and he'll establish an eternally enduring kingdom so what we see that Luke is pointing out to us in the narrative as he kind of tracks through is he's telling us that Jesus is the present powerful deliverer. Jesus is the one who is both present and who is powerful and who will deliver his people. And so one question that we could ask of ourselves this morning is what does Jesus' kingship mean for our lives? What does his kingship mean for our lives? As we read through this prophecy... Jesus hasn't been born yet, but we notice that Zechariah is speaking what's called the prophetic past tense. He's speaking as if it's already happened, as if God's mission through this coming king is already fulfilled. God's mission to to deliver his people is clear in verses 68 and 69 of the song. He says he, he has visited and redeemed his people and he has raised up a horn of salvation. And of course, by visitation, Zechariah is speaking about the incarnation of Christ. Christ has come. The long-awaited promised king has come. He's present with his people. The God-man, Jesus Christ, is coming to his creation. And in doing so, he'll identify with his people. And as the story unfolds, we even see that by his death, he will conquer the power and the curse of sin when he triumphs over sin's curse, when he triumphs over death through the resurrection. The reality that he is present, it brings hope and it brings comfort to the hearts of his people. It brings us comfort that Jesus is with us, as Zechariah prophesies, not only by his visitation, but by his delivery, his deliver, he's the deliverer. He has redeemed his people, meaning he has purchased us back. He has purchased us from something, from bondage and enslavement to sin, and so Jesus, he, he graciously comes to our aid. And here's what he does. He forgives and he forgets. And This is good news. This is incredible news. He doesn't hold my sin against me. And so Zechariah celebrates this. He says he's raised up a horn of salvation. Like the mighty ox, it's a picture that's supposed to come to our mind as we read the, the mighty ox raising his horns and threshing back and forth, back and forth over, over his foe when he is victorious, victorious. And Christ, Christ will display God's power and salvation for his people. And so what Zachariah is saying is this present king will deliver his people with power. He will defeat our enemies as a horn of salvation. This king. Jesus will bring salvation. He'll bring deliverance from our enemies, not only when he comes, but at his final return. And so Zechariah's song is a song of praise. It's praise, he's praising God because he sees God's faithfulness to install his righteous king, the present powerful deliverer. And church, the challenge, I think, for us as we read a text like this is that our hearts and lives ought to be filled with the same kind of praise, because we see clearly what Zachariah prophetically praised God for. King Jesus has come, and now he's enthroned in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and he has made a way for us to know God's salvation. Jesus is our ever-present and all-powerful deliverer. He is with us as a present help in our time of need. He is with us as an advocate with the Father. And in him, we have the promise of deliverance from bondage to sin. But not only does Zechariah praise God because he's faithful to the Davidic covenant, covenant, he praises God because he's, he's also faithful to the Abrahamic covenant. And in verses 72 through 75, we see this. God's, God's mercy is seen as a backdrop for his covenant-keeping faithfulness with Abraham. He even says God remembered his holy covenant, which was promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 through 18, that God would make of Abraham a great nation as numerous as the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. And through Abraham's offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So we see God's mercy toward us. It's seen in that God doesn't give us what our sin deserves. Instead, his visitation and redemption come through his one and only son. And this parallels what God does with Abraham, just as Abraham didn't withhold his one and only son and was there in Genesis 22 ready to offer his son the knife in, the mid- in mid-air, believing God's promise, and the angel comes and stops him. Just as Abraham didn't withhold his one and only son, so now God is sending his one and only son on a divine rescue mission. So Christ's ministry of, of deliverance goes far beyond the political oppression of Zechariah's day. The ultimate deliverance... That Zechariah is speaking about is against our greatest adversary, Satan. It's against the greatest adversary that we experience. But not only Satan, it's also this this adversary, the the fallen human nature, our sinful depravity. And Jesus, in, in his kingly delivering, he delivers us from bondage to sin. He empowers us to live not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, to battle against the temptation of the flesh, to battle against the pull toward ungodliness and unholiness and unrighteousness. And so the purpose of this divine rescue is to create a people who are free to serve him, as the text says, without fear in holiness and righteousness. And this is exactly what Jesus does. He equips us to serve him through redemption. Look on the screen, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. This is the exhortation that the Apostle Paul gives to the church to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. The new reality for all who profess faith in Christ is that we have been freed to live in holiness, free to live in righteousness through Christ's atoning work. But our talk must match our walk. That means the Spirit of God living within us must be changing us, transforming us. God's mercy to us is that Christ liberates us from bondage, he removes our fear. He equips us to serve God all our days until we are as we await for his return. God's love for us is seen through his faithfulness. Even when we think God is silent, we shouldn't stop trusting and believing him. He's present. He's powerful. He is able to deliver us. But he's also merciful toward us as the author of Hebrews Reminds us that Jesus is our merciful and faithful high priest. And so whatever real and difficult trials we walk through in this life, Advent reminds us that we are not alone. Christ has come, and Christ is coming again. The first Advent promises God's present presence with us, and the second Advent promises our eternal presence with him, right? But not only does Zechariah offer praise for God's faithfulness, he also offers praise for the advent of hope. Praise to God for the advent of hope, the coming of hope. Can you imagine the magnitude of this moment for Zechariah? Verse 76. He's been he's been silent for 9 months, unable to speak. He sees his baby boy, his firstborn, and then realizes that his son is the focus of divine revelation. And in verses 76 and 77, we see that God sends a forerunner. That's the role of John the Baptist. He's the forerunner. His mission is laid out there in verses 76 and 77 when Zechariah prophesies, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. John's mission and his message are clear His mission to announce the advent of the promised king, the Messiah. His purpose to point all people to Jesus. His message to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ leading to salvation. I want to ask you, church, is this not parallel to our mission and message? The life of John the Baptist, the prophecy of Zechariah for John the Baptist, that he would be the forerunner Perhaps the the difference is that no longer are we the forerunner going before the Lord. Now we are ambassadors going with the Lord, right? So John the Baptist, his role was to go before the Lord announcing the coming of the kingdom. And now we go with the Lord announcing the coming of the kingdom. By his indwelling spirit, we walk in holiness and righteousness as ambassadors for Christ. We go into the world announcing Christ's arrival and preparing people to meet King Jesus. This is kingdom service. This is what following Christ is about. The message and the mission of announcing the Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. From here to Uganda and back again, through our ESL ministry, through our food pantry ministry, through fellowshipping together in home groups, through going to St. Vincent de Paul, through our Mother's Day out ministry on campus here, every. Monday through Thursday every week, to home groups and equipping classes, to exercising hospitality and bringing our neighbors into our home and sitting down around the table together. This is what God has called us to do as we live our lives, as we go make disciples of all nations. And so, church, we too must call people to repentance. You know, when when you read through the Scripture and you read about John the Baptist... He was a weird dude, wasn't he? I mean, he had a belt of camel's hair. He had this really rough top coat on or, or cover on. He, he ate locusts and wild honey. Yeah, I mean, is that your diet? right? He was, a, he was a strange guy. He was called to the Lord, and he lived out his mission that God had called him to with great zeal and great passion and for us as believers in Christ and dwelt by the holy spirit of god i'm not telling you you have to be the most weird dude or most weird lady in the room but what i am saying is that there is a unique thing about following jesus where where we learn to take our commands from him and we we don't necessarily care we shouldn't what the world thinks about us but to be faithful to be seen as faithful because ultimately what matters in the end is that God sees us faithful and to be faithful in announcing and proclaiming the kingdom of God. So we must prepare the way of the Lord. With the same assuredness of Christ's first coming, we know that he will return and this alone ought to compel us to live with urgency. We are God's people sent into the world to proclaim this glorious met- message and call people to repentance in preparation for the second coming of Christ. The last point I want us to see in verses 78 and 79 is that God provides the sunrise. Jesus is called the Son of the Most High in chapter 1, verse 32. Christ's coming is the embodiment of God's mercy toward his creation, and he uses the metaphor sunrise of creation. We've all watched the glorious sunrise. It dispels the darkness of night as it lights up the day. It's beautiful when you're in the mountains and you see it happening. But this isn't an ordinary sunrise. What Luke is speaking about and what Zechariah is prophesying about is the creator of all creation steps into creation to redeem the brokenness of humanity. Christ illuminates the darkness of sin in the world, and he casts away the darkness of death. And he guides us into the way of true peace. And what Luke is telling us, what Zechariah is prophesying about, is there is no darkness that Christ can't illuminate. There is no sin that Christ can't conquer. There is no despair that Christ can't overcome. There is no trial that, where Christ isn't present. And there is no enemy that Christ hasn't defeated. He is sovereign, king, ruler, Lord of all. And as we gather Sunday after Sunday to worship Christ, I want you to know we are worshiping the king of all creation, the one that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess. And as we go out about, about ourselves this week, we think about Advent. We think about this king who came. He is coming again. And there is a mission that he has called us to, church. There is a message he has given us to sing, and we need to proclaim it. We need to sing it. We need to live it out. Because as sure as he came the first time, he is coming again. There is no doubt. Praise God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have provided salvation for us. Lord, if there's any in here this morning who don't, know you, and don't have a relationship with you. pray that you would encourage their heart and their mind to confess their sin, repent, and believe in Christ, the King who has come and is coming again, the one who will reign eternally and supremely. Thank you, Jesus, for our salvation. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness toward us. And this morning, we praise you. For you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?